0: Good evening, everyone. It's really an honor and privilege to be able to share the word with you tonight. It's humbling. It really is. Um, for you, those who haven't been in the church that long, I used to work out uh, in the security desk for a number of years. Um, and I was telling them that earlier. I said there was a time... Um, I used to to work overnight security for the big chunk of the time I worked in security. And I remember I used to do rounds, and I would come out, and like I would have my my method of going through the building, and I would do this, and then I would pop out through the back end of the stage here and come out and just kind of look out, you know, and I was fairly new to the church and just kind of looking at the immensity of it all and all the empty seats and just wondered one day what it would be like to share something from it. So to see that actually come to fruition, I've been humbled over the last few days of God's grace. So I say that actually all I say, if if God is doing something in your life um, and it doesn't seem like it's happening quickly, he's working, right? That took years because he needed to work on me first before he would give me the privilege of holding a microphone to share his word because this is serious stuff. So I grew up um, kind of in a mixed faith background, predominantly Catholicism. That was most of my background. My father was Catholic. They were Polish, if you know my My last name is Lewandowski. So I'm half Polish, I'm half Chinese. So my mother gave more influence to my father and his family over kind of the religious side of upbringing. And so most of my um, understanding of the things of God came from Catholicism. But my mother was also Buddhist, and so it was a mix of Catholicism with little like touches of Buddhism here and there. You know, she would have times where she would go down to the Buddhist temple down in Lower Manhattan. She had a Buddhist monk friend. Um, we actually went to go meet the Dalai Lama one time when he was visiting New York, and so there was like these pockets where she would uh, practice her her Buddhism, but it was nominal at best. You know, she still very much explored much of the world, and around the age of 17, she met Jesus, and it changed her life completely. And so while she didn't really pressure me in terms of Buddhism, it more was uh, like an invitation. I'm going here. I'm going to the Buddhist temple. I'm going to do this. Just kind of tag along kind of thing. But there wasn't much of an influence there. But the moment that she became a Christian, she just couldn't stop talking about Jesus and as a 17-year-old, I didn't want anything to do with God. I was kind of just out there in the world. I wanted to do my own thing. And she would just, everything was laced with Jesus. Everything was laced with, with like, what God was doing in her life. And I was like, gosh, this is so, so like, uh, like too much. Stop. It was a little annoying, truthfully. But she kept going. Um, and she kept pushing. And it wasn't just me. It was my brother. It was my girlfriend at the time. It was now my wife. It was my father. It was everybody around her. She was constantly, in in most of her conversations, it was always being steered back to God and who he was and what was going on in her life. And then two years later, I would end up coming to faith. And so in hindsight, I look back, as much as her um, like bombardment of what God was to her in her life was annoying then, it was infectious to me in many ways. Fast forward a few years ago, there was a brother who used to attend this church, um, and I would sit at the security desk, and he had just come to faith. And goodness, he was on fire. I mean, like on fire for the Lord. Every time I saw him, he had his Bible open, and he was reading it, waiting for prayer meeting, waiting for whatever meeting was happening. He was here early, with his Bible open, praying, reading, whatever it was, humming some sort of hymn. He was just like so enthusiastic about the things of God. I would just sit there and go like, this is, this guy real, right? I would look at the security screen and I would say, there's a guy in Gallatin Place. Like he's sitting on the steps. Uh, he's doing, I don't know if he was, whatever he was. I don't remember exactly what the guy was doing. But I was like, you should go share the gospel with him. You should go speak to him. He ran right out of Smith Street doors, ran around the corner. And I sat there and watched him on camera. Spent like 20, 30 minutes with the guy on the steps just trying to convey truth to him. And then I met a couple of guys a few weeks ago, and they're probably here in their prayer meeting. And they're all from different parts of the country. Another one is actually from outside. And they had that same type of faith. Like, they came in. They were like, we want to go out into the streets. We want to spread the gospel. We want, what do you have to give us? We want to make sure that, like, we're, we're, we're putting our feet to the ground here in New York, and we're going to work. Right? And when I met them, I was like, wow, these guys are intense. Because... Not only did they want to do that, like everything coming out of their mouth was Jesus. And that was a beautiful thing. But then I was at the same thing in my mind. I was like, are these guys real? Like you're trying to discern in your heart where they really stood. And then the Lord convicted me. And he's been doing this for weeks and probably months slowly. Like why would I even think that way in the first place? Like those three guys, the guy a few years ago, my mother, that's supposed to be every one of us. That's the heart of God for every single person in this room, every single believer across the country. And so maybe you know, does everybody know somebody who's kind of like that, right? Like they just can't stop talking about Jesus. Like Jesus is always in their conversation and like their, their faith is, is infectious. Or better yet, is that person you? So that's what I want to talk about tonight. Because the thing is when I look back in the years of kind of doing ministry, this is what I've come across. It's the guy from a couple of years ago I mentioned. It's my mother in in you know, her early days and, and she didn't actually change so much. We have our pockets. But it's the it's the new believer. That has a tendency, they have this fire burning inside of them and they need to to like just go and tell everybody about how their life has been transformed by the gospel. Like they don't hold back. That was me in my early stages. I didn't care where I was, who I was speaking to. I would make coworkers cry because I had no wisdom in terms of truth plus some grace. It was like you gotta repent now or you're going to hell. And then they would cry in, the, in, the, um, in our little stock room. I worked in retail, and my manager would come up to me, and she's like, Justin, you, you can't do that. Like, I know you love, like, your God, but you can't make people cry on your lunch break. That's just not a, that's not a nice thing to do. And, but that ends up being the, the thing that happens, right? Like, we, we get so set on fire, and then what eventually happens is life takes over. You got troubles, you got worries, you got bills to pay. You have whatever it may be. It comes along and it starts to harden your heart a little bit. It starts to make you numb. It starts to make you a little bit jaded to the things of God. And so you become a little less enthusiastic. And then your walk with the Lord starts to become a little bit less like what God is trying to do in our hearts is is the light that he is is shedding right to to shed away all this darkness that's still in bits and pieces inside of us, that light that he's he's, uh, putting inside of us is supposed to be shed back out into the world. It's not supposed to be held inside of us. But the challenge is that as we grow along in our faith in Christianity, as God is starting to speak to the things of our hearts and start to shed light on them so that we don't have bits and pieces of darkness in us, eventually, that as we want it to shed outwards, we kind of keep it inwardly. As much as Jesus says that you are the light of the world and you're a city, right, set on top of a hill, and that you're a lamp that lights an entire house and then nobody puts a basket over it, many times we do put a basket over our light and our faith. And so we don't end up pushing outward the light that God has so put in us and the love that he's put us to the people around us. We're not so much infectious as we used to be because we let things creep in. And so we get a little bit hardened towards those things. And so God started speaking to me over the last few weeks because it's easy. And I'm preaching more to myself than anything tonight. It's easy when you do ministry long enough that it just becomes work. And it doesn't become so much about the needs of the people. And God, whatever you're doing in my life, I want to make sure that people know about who you are. It becomes more so, God, I just got to get stuff done. And so I don't have so much in a way that infectious faith I used to have that anywhere I went I needed to speak about Jesus. It comes in pockets here and there as I humble myself before God, but there's so much in times I just let life take over and I'm just like, oh, I just got to get through another day. God just give me the grace to get through this day and leave me out of the equation of spreading it to the world. So I want to take a look at passage of scripture. It's a story that's probably well known to most of us. If you've been a Christian for probably more than a month. You've heard this story. Uh, it's the story of the paralytic, right? And I think it's a story that's meant to be told. You know, you read these stories in the Bible and, and, and then you kind of just kind of skim through them. They're like Us, Like, wow, this is an amazing, great story. But God puts them there for a reason. The Holy Spirit inspires these stories to be placed in the Bible, to be recorded so that it would speak back to us 2,000 years later so that we would do something with it. So let's take a moment and read this. If we have it, I'm going to read from the version in Mark. It's in three Gospels, except the only Gospel that's not in it is John. And I, I like Mark and Luke the best, and the most detailed accounts of the story. Um, Mark is is a little bit more detailed than Luke in a different way. But we'll start here. It says, "A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum." So Jesus, this is the beginning of his ministry. He's starting out, he's going out, he's doing miracles, he's preaching the word of God, he's telling people about the kingdom of God, and he hadn't even gathered all of his disciples yet at this point. He only has a select few. But he's out there and he's doing work, and he has to, the crowds are now starting to be attracted to him, so he has to withdraw and pull away, because it's becoming to the point where everywhere he goes, they're so drawn to him and they're asking him to do stuff, he goes out and he pulls away. So now he returns back And he returns back to Capernaum and it says, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such a large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to him. But in Luke, it actually says that there were Pharisees and that there were teachers of the law who had come from all over, all over Judea, all over um, as far as Jerusalem. They had come to see who this Jesus was. They wanted to know what was going on, more than anything to probably trap him, but they had come to find out and they come to listen to his teaching. So we go to the next verse. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. I, it's, I love that story. I love it in, It's because it speaks in so many ways, right? You can tell this story in so many ways. But I want you to just envision for a moment. Jesus is coming back to Capernaum, right? These men, they get word of it. Somehow there's word spreading all over the place. Jesus is back. Jesus is back. Like, we got to go see what he's going to do next. And so these men gather together and they go, well, what's the best thing that we need right now for our lives is our friend, our friend is paralyzed here, and apparently Jesus can do miracles. So we got to get him to Jesus at this point. So they go, and they pick him up. We don't know how far they travel, but they go, and they go running to this man. But the problem is when they get there, they're beat by the crowds. Everybody got there before they did. And so when they enter, and they try to enter, you could imagine most people would turn around, and they're like, hey, we got to see Jesus. Can you let us in, make some room? Could you scoot aside?" And everybody's probably like... No, we've came for the same purpose. I got a bum knee, I got a bad back, I'm like my cousin's here and he's waiting, or we want to just hear what this Jesus has to say. And so instead of having compassion on the man, they look back on this paralyzed man and they go, sorry, can't help you. So instead of the four men going, you know what, maybe we should just wait. We'll catch him on the way out because Jesus is going to have to leave some point at some point right so let's let him come out and as soon as he comes out we'll rush him and say hey we have our friend here he needs healing you need to come to him quickly but instead i said that's this time of of the essence we need to get to Jesus now and so they couldn't like come up with some plan, right? Most houses back then, if there was a two-story house, many believe the, um, that there's usually a staircase on the outside of that house and that they might have brought him on that staircase up to the rooftop. Some say that if there wasn't the staircase, they've got a ladder, they carried him. However they got him to the roof, the fact that they even thought about how else will we get, and get him into the presence of Jesus is amazing. The faith that they had to go, we need to get to Jesus now. Not wait later, now. Our friend is in need, now. Let's get there, now. So they go to the rooftop. And Jesus is inside teaching. So picture Jesus inside teaching. And this is not like a concrete rooftop. This is not like what we have now with, with whatever the, the flashing and all that other stuff. And you, know, it would, you, you couldn't humanly possible like dig through that with your hands. So there's hardened clay, there's, there's grass probably there that they're, they're digging through. So as they're digging through, as Jesus is, is teaching the people, like debris has to be falling down on people at that moment, right? And you would think Jesus is going to go, like, we should probably get out of here. Like the roof is literally falling in on us. But Jesus being Jesus continues to teach. He's like, let's see what happens. And so as you imagine, these guys are clawing away, however long that may be, and then they finally open up a hole large enough, and they probably have some ropes attached to his bed, and they start to lower him down into the presence of Jesus. So can you imagine sitting there? You're getting taught a lesson, and you're looking at Jesus, as he's teaching you some profound things from the Word of God, and then here comes this man on his bed being lowered Like, imagine if we're standing in the auditorium right now and we look up and from the ceiling, some guy is just being dropped into our presence. And we're standing there like, like, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? This is, that's your problem, right? Jesus doesn't say anything. But what he does, he does say something. And we saw what he said. But he doesn't go like, you guys interrupted my sermon. I was teaching the word of God. He looks at this man, he looks up at the four guys, and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Their faith stirred Jesus so much that it caused him to react in a manner to cause his entire salvation to happen on the spot. Their faith was so infectious that it moved the Son of God to do something more miraculous than the healing of his body. It moved him to affect his entire eternity. Think about that for a moment. Like, their faith was so infectious. I don't think there's anywhere else in Scripture, and I don't think we see it most often, where God is so moved by somebody else's faith that he, forgiveness is given to an individual. He doesn't say that he's moved by the individual's faith, by the paralyzed man, man's faith, right? He says, because he saw the faith in all of them. The collective faith of his friends moved him enough to go, your sins are forgiven. And the amazing thing is about this, and I I want to just kind of uh, detour for a second here. Christmas season, and we've been going through it for the last few weeks, we get into this mode and all that it is. We can't forget that Jesus addressed the spiritual need first here. Many other points, he addressed the physical need. But there was a moment here he paused and said, there's a greater need here than healing this man and causing him to walk again and to rise the greater need he has a spiritual need that's greater than this and that he's actually paralyzed by sin and because he's paralyzed by sin he needs to be forgiven of it before he can actually get up and walk and he did this not only to showcase his power to the rest of the room he did it as an example to us that our primary focus in this Christmas season as a reminder is that Jesus, it says in Matthew 1, Jesus came to save people from their sins. Everything else is secondary. Healing is secondary. We could pray in prayer meetings every single Tuesday night for the healing of people, for the touching of people in their lives, a blessing over them, finances. All of those things are necessary things to pray over, but those are secondary next to salvation. That man could have been dropped into the presence of God, been healed, and walked right out of there apart from an eternity apart from God. Salvation always comes first, no matter what. So when you speak to your your cousin, your uncle, your aunt, your friend during this Christmas season, as Pastor said, you're going to be in this awkward moment because you actually understand what Christmas is all about. Salvation comes first. What comes out of your mouth is the gospel because that's what matters the most to anybody around us. That's the only thing that we can convey to people that actually has any real worth or meaning for their life. Not even their life, their eternity. So he gets placed into his presence. What happens here? They only know a portion of Jesus. They only know Jesus for what he is at that moment. This guy's a miracle worker. And we have to get our friend into the presence of Christ. Because he's a miracle worker, we need to get our friend into that presence. But there's a difference between those four men and us. They, may a por- they know a portion of Jesus. We have the fullness of Jesus revealed to us in Scripture. Not only do we have the fullness of Jesus revealed to us in Scripture, and we know more about him than these four men did, but we have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus living inside of us. And because he dwells and lives inside of us, that should do something on a daily basis to stir us to have this type of infectious faith. If these men, these four men who only knew a glimpse of who Jesus were, could have this type of faith to know that there is no other hope but in Jesus then why do we fall so short from that every single day? Why is it that sometimes we let life's challenges get the best of us? Why isn't that we aren't as infectious as we need to be to those around us who desperately need to know about who he is? Why aren't we fighting to get people into the presence of Christ more? And so how do we get there? So i looking at this story. I said, well, how do we get there, Lord? I think we get there like this. It's a way the way we view Jesus. Because these men, as much as they didn't know a ton about who Jesus were was, right? They had a glimpse, maybe they heard some of his teachings, maybe they saw some of the miracles, maybe they heard about him. But the difference is that there was no other solution to them at the moment. It was only Jesus. And if our lives aren't lived like that, if my life and your life isn't lived to the point where we're saying there is nothing else but Jesus, it will never come out of you the way it's supposed to. It will never be infectious to anybody because you're always going to have a divided heart in some way. There's going to be I have faith and I have a bit of the world with me. I have faith, but then I have other solutions that I have as backup plan A, B, and C. If Jesus doesn't work out, he will always work out. He will always work out. The faith that these four men had meant that they knew if I get him into his presence, if I get our friend into his presence, he's going to do something. There wasn't any doubt. If there was doubt, they would have stopped at the door. But because they, they made their, themselves up to the roof and, and dug through this roof to get down and bring their friend down to, to Jesus' presence, they knew that something was going to happen. And so for you and I tonight, it's the same charge that God's giving us. Is it all of me? Or is it just a portion of me mixed with everything else? Amen. It's all of him. It's all of Jesus. There is no other portion. There is no plan A, B, and C after him. There is nothing else. The moment you set your mind on anything else, Jesus doesn't work anymore. Because you've already cast him aside as the only thing that will ever work. And he is, again, the only thing that will ever work. Seek the kingdom of God in all its righteousness and everything will be added unto you. Seek it first. Everything gets added unto us. So we know him greater. We see him and we hold him in this light. Everything else is secondary. It's only infectious if we view him this way. So he's only our solution. And this is a beautiful verse. I'm just going to close with this because I want to pray. This is something that I want to pray for myself, but I want to pray for you. This is a beautiful verse that Paul writes in the book of Corinthians. And this is what we are to the world, right? Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians two fourteen. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ, triumphal procession. So he gives us a beautiful image here. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. When you're a captive of somebody, you belong to that person. But the master that we have is not evil. He's not mean. He's not beating us. He, try, he leads us along with grace and truth and mercy and compassion and love. That's who we're held captive by. That's who our master is. So, as he leads us along in this journey, and so it's a picture of this, as he's leading us along, uh, Paul's giving us a, p- a picture that they used to do this. When the Romans used to conquer somebody, they would put people in cages, right? And they would bring them along to the, uh, the streets as they were returning back, and there would be people along the, uh, line, lined along the streets, Roman citizens, and they'd be cheering because they had come back and they had won victory over this particular group or, or, uh, of people, right? And so that these people would be held captive as an example of who they've overcome, right? So uh, in return, God, he's saying, God does this to us. He leads us along. But as we are being led along before people, as we're going through life and we're meeting somebody here and we're meeting somebody there, we're speaking to a family member here, we're speaking to a family member there, this is what he says. He uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. Let's go to the next verse. For we, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are aroma that brings death, to the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? We're a pleasing aroma. Your job is not to find out which person you're pleasing, the, you're a pleasing aroma to. Don't diminish. If you're like a beautiful fragrance, don't like dampen that fragrance. Don't put it out just because somebody starts to push back on your expression of your faith, right? Like push back even harder. You're supposed to be a fragrance that whether or not it produces an odorous fragrance to them, why? Because it reveals their sin in their life and as their sin is revealed, it brings about a death and that stench of death is brought out and they're like, I don't want what you're giving me because I can smell death, right? And so what you're bringing about is death to me, so stay away. But we're not supposed to go, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me put my candle out. I don't want you to smell this aroma that's coming from me that speaks of the things of God, that speaks of the Jesus that has transformed my life in such a way that I can't help but speak about him. You keep on pushing on because that's what God has told us to do. You keep expressing yourself because that's not our job. Because the next person you might meet, you become a pleasing aroma to them in a way that it brings about life now to them, a transforming life. So that's what we're meant to do because we don't know the one person to the next how we're going to touch them, what type of fragrance we're going to be to them. It may be beautiful to them, it may be death, but it doesn't matter. Be a fragrance to them. Be some fragrance to them. And pray that it's a fragrance of life. Because that's how we end up being infectious. It's this fragrance that people are becoming. They're like, oh, this is so pleasing. I want more of that. Like, what you're giving to me is so pleasing. Like, come, give me more. Give me more. I don't know what it is, but I want more of it because it's doing something inside of me that I've never felt before in my life. Please, I want more of this. Is your life infectious tonight? Is your faith infectious tonight? Is it a way when, when you're around people, they go, man, they can't stop talking about Jesus. Like everything they do, their whole life is encapsulated by everything that he's done for them. Like I have to, this, they're always talking about him. Like what he did for them yesterday, what he's doing for them now, how he saved them, what he's doing for his family. Are people drawn to you in such a way that way because of how you express Christ in your life. If you're like me, where you have your moments where life gets dull and you become a little less infectious, like I want, I don't want to say, like, oh, for the new year, we need to have more faith. We need to be more infectious with our faith in the new year. No, like I want tonight, when I walk out this building, whoever I meet, I want to be like, you know what Jesus did for me tonight? Years in the making, I sat on a stage and looked out and here he made it come to fulfillment. I got to tell you about this, Jesus, because he did something to me that you need to know about right now. Like, I got to tell you about him because I don't know what's going to happen after I meet you. You may enter in an eternity that you'll never get to know this, Jesus. You need to know now. So I don't know if you're visiting with us tonight. Maybe you're going to return home and you're going to go back to life. You're to know, you go back to job. You go back to whatever it is. But those people that you're surrounded by, how are they going to come when they come next to you? What kind of aroma are you going to give them? What is it that you're going to, uh, what kind of fragrance are you offering them as they come and sit in your presence? So I want to pray. If that's you tonight, if you want to be more infectious, if you want to have infectious faith tonight, would you join me in prayer? Just ask that, um, would you stand with me? If that's your heart's desire, you're like, Lord, God, I I, I have it in this season, maybe for a while now, I, I haven't been that type of person. Maybe I was there at one point, but God, I want to get back to that place. God, I want to have this infectious type of faith that everybody I'm around, they know that I am a follower of Jesus. They know that he is my everything, that I belong to him. Like not just in the new year, God, I'm going to make a promise to you, not just for the Christmas season, God, every single day of my life until you call me home or until you return to this earth, God, I want to live in such a way that, God, it's an aroma that's going out to the world around me. And it's spreading the knowledge of who you are, oh, God. So I want to pray for you tonight. Would you just make your way up to the altar? We're going to pray together. Would you just start to open your heart up to God? Bring before Him, Lord. I, I, you know, God, I haven't been the way I used to. I don't talk about you enough. People that, when they come around you, come around me, the Lord, they may, they may know that I follow Jesus, but it's not in a way that's like infectious. They want to know more about Him, they want to know why I follow Him, God. So just open your heart. Just talk to Him, talk to Him, confess that to Him and have to start to do the work on your heart that you need here. Father, I thank you tonight, Lord. God, we thank you tonight for everyone, Lord God, who wants to return back to, God, that moment, Lord, where everything was about you, oh, Lord. There wasn't anything else they put before you, God. God, they served you in such a way that people just didn't understand how they lived a life like that, Lord. God, we need you tonight because we can't do any of this unless you come into our hearts and you start to to do the work that you need to do to bring us back to that place again. Lord, if we've never actually been to that place, because some of us actually don't have faith where it's infectious, Lord. God, help us tonight. Help us, Lord God. We want to be a fragrant Aroma to the world around us that's dying, Lord God. Many are out there, Lord God, who don't know the name of Jesus tonight, who've never heard it, Lord. Maybe our friends and our family, Lord, maybe they come around us, God, and we don't talk enough about you, Lord. We talk about other things, God. I pray tonight, Lord. I pray this Christmas season as we gather, Lord, we'll start to talk about you, 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 Jesus. It's you, Lord help us. God, fill our mouths. God, we won't know what to say, God, but you're going to give us the words to speak. You're going to help us to know everything that we, needs to come out of our mouth. God, you know the people that are going to be in our presence. But God, we want to have such a faith, God, that when people come around us, they're like, wow, what is it? What is it about this person? Why do they love Jesus so much? So I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, because I know That's your desire for our heart, Lord God, that we would put you first. And as we set our eyes upon you, God, you're going to do that work that's necessary in all of us, God. And I pray as people go out of this room, and Lord, as they spread out into the streets of New York, Lord God, there will be a multitude of people speaking and preaching and proclaiming the name of Jesus all over the place. When the visitors return back to their states or their country, wherever they're from, God, they will be proclaiming the name of Jesus because they won't be able to stop. They'll be compelled, God, to speak the name of Jesus everywhere they go. Their desire is to usher in people into your presence, to drop people into your presence because there is no only hope outside of you, Lord. There is only you. You're the only solution, the only hope, Lord God. And Father, I ask these things in that name, that precious, precious, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.